understanding your demographic really get you in the mind of who the customer is, who the, who the tenant is and what they're going to need so that you can learn about the market and understand where are the types of housing that fit the best for what I want to invest in. Welcome to the Path to Passive podcast, where we talk about building wealth and empowering lifestyle through commercial real estate investing for tech professionals. I always wish that other tech professionals reaching financial freedom had documented their journey along the way, so I'm doing it for the rest of us. Join us as we explore stories, many failures, and lessons learned along the way. I hope you enjoy and subscribe. Hello, everyone. Happy Thanksgiving and welcome to the show today. Let's get into it. So when talking about real estate, have you ever heard the phrase location, location, location? Well, it's really kind of cliche. There's a lot of truth that when you get the right location, investing and real estate investing can actually become a bit easier. Now, with multifamily as well, when talking about location, we start with something called the MSA or Metropolitan Statistical Area. You know, we also talk about counties, neighborhoods, all the way down block level. So this episode, what we're going to be covering is how does picking markets actually help your investing? What are the factors in picking markets and what do you want to look for? Where can you go look for data to understand the markets so that you can go do your own research? And as an investor, what do you really need to care about when evaluating markets as well? So with that in mind, hello and welcome to another episode of Path to Passive, real estate investing for tech professionals, the guide for tech professionals that want to invest in real estate to get the maximum leverage of their capital, earn income, save on taxes, and build generational wealth. In each episode, I'll be bringing you real estate topics and conversations with real estate leaders, entrepreneurs, and myself to provide tools and strategies to be investing in real estate. I'm on this path as well, continue on this path, and I want to document the process and be a guide for all of us along the way. So with that, getting into today's show is evaluating markets for real estate investing. And just a quick reminder as we jump in, if you're already subscribed, thank you so much. But if you're new here, please subscribe wherever you're listening so you can get more information on real estate investing. Okay, so let's get into it. Investing in the right markets can really help you to reach your investing goals faster give you less problems and create more opportunities along the way, right? So just a simple analogy to, to break it down here. Imagine you're trying to run into the wind, right? It can be really, really hard to cover any distance. However, if you have the wind behind you, right? And it's pushing you, then it's like you can start to move with a whole lot less effort because the wind is at your back and helping you move along. In our case, the wind is at our backs where we have economic factors and considerations helping us and aiding us with our investing. We're talking, you know, things like income, you know, medium income, job growth, unemployment rates are lower, demographic trends, etc. And wherever the market is that we're talking about. Now, there are others too at the neighborhood level that will need to be considered, but let's get into that shortly. So the first thing to get out of the way when we talk about evaluating markets is investing in or out of state, right? So you might be living somewhere like California as an example, but you want to invest in some place like maybe Texas or Florida or Nashville or one of these other hot markets that there are right now. So interesting or investing, you know, in out of state real estate can be a viable option, a good option for investors who are looking for diversification and potentially higher returns as well. 
However, it's crucial to carefully consider the risks and challenges involved with making any investment decisions. This is why we're talking about evaluating markets. So with respect to benefits of out-of-state real estate investing, again, we have access to diverse markets. You don't have to be there to actually invest. So it allows you to tap into these markets with different economic conditions, demographic trends, supply and demand dynamics, potentially offering higher returns and lower property costs compared to the market you might be living in, as an example. You get to diversify your portfolio as well. Investing in out-of-state properties, diversify your real estate investment portfolio, reducing your overall risk by spreading your investment across different geographic locations and market cycles. Potential, you know, for higher returns too. So there were going to be different economic factors or different economic trends going on in different markets that may, hire, may offer higher rental yields or higher returns. So in that way, you can take advantage of what's happening in those local markets. Now, on the challenges side of investing in out-of-state real estate, you might have a little bit less knowledge about those markets if you're less familiar with them. Right? So we're talking about limited knowledge of that local market. Investing in unfamiliar market requires more research, understanding of the local economic trends, demographics, and regulations. And then, of course, difficulty managing properties from far, especially you know, if you've been listening to previous episodes and you've decided that you want to be an active investor, you're going to have much more difficulty managing something from afar, right? as, you can, as you can understand. Managing properties remotely can be challenging, requiring reliable property management services and more frequent travel expenses if you don't have, we'll call it boots on the ground people that are there really paying close attention and looking after that property. Of course, there's tax implications. Out-of-state investments may involve, may involve additional tax complexities requiring consultation with tax professionals, as well as legal things that need to be considered with a little more complexity. So as far as recommendations go, again, we're just talking about what it is to consider investing out of state. You know, you want to do things like make sure that you're doing your research thoroughly, partnering with reliable people on ground, considering that you do some you know, regular visits yourself so that you get more familiar with that local market. And then starting small, testing, you know, growing into that market. As you learn more, you get to uh, become more familiar with it, build your network, etc. And as you have more communication with everyone as well, then you get into a much better place where you can invest more comfortably and reliably in that market. So the point is, is that we're talking about real estate investing here, and it doesn't have to be something that you only do in your backyard. Now, I'll give you some tips at the very end on what you can do to find data about your market and where you can start, but I just want to get that out of the way because it's something that's really cool about, you know, especially being a passive investor, as an example, where you can diversify just like we talked about and take advantage of different markets without having to live there. You just use the tech brain to look at all of the different data sources. How do you crunch that information and say, okay, I, I understand a big picture here of this market. It's, it's really just an entity, just a location, just this object you can think about that you can get familiar with, network with others there, and then start making those small investments so that you can get more and more comfortable with it. Okay, so that out of the way, let's talk about the factors in the market, right, and the evaluation process. So at a macro level, some cities or those metropolitan statistical areas, those MSAs, present better opportunities to invest in based on factors. 
this section, I'm going to go through what some of those factors are and give you some high-level step-by-steps on how you can evaluate these markets as well. So the value of real estate, you know, these, these, these markets, there's going to be a couple of these different things as you're going to see as I go through it here. But again, this is a step-by-step kind of high-level guide. We're just getting started on the podcast. I think this is episode 11 now, only episode 11. I've got a ton of great guests coming, so we're going to go further and further into these. But as you listen to this and you might have questions, please jot them down or email me, or you can hit me on Instagram as well. My information is in the body of wherever you're listening, the show notes. So feel free to reach out. I'd love to hear about what questions you have to make sure that we prioritize those and get your questions answered. So first things first, let's make sure step one, that you understand the broader market, right? We need to look at the economic indicators. We're talking about analyzing regional and national economic trends, job growth, interest rates, inflation, tax regulations, and favorable economic conditions indicating a healthy market for that investment. Let's look at industry trends, right? Looking at what research has been done around real estate technology, any technological advancements, regulatory changes, consumer preferences as well. Understanding these trends can help you identify emerging opportunities and potential risks as well. What are what new things are happening in a given market? You know, what, you know, example, what tech hub cities might there be? You know, Seattle, San Fran, Austin, New York, just to name a few. What's what's going on and what's coming up there from a technology perspective? And how is that in how is that impacting what the housing is looking like too? Is there a lot more smart homes popping up? Is there a lot more, you know, more upgrades that you might have to do to keep up with the expectations for the product or the type of uh, real estate you're getting that the people that you want to rent to are expecting. So that's just a brief example, right? Look at the industry trends as well. Second, look at historic data and trends. So in this part, you know, we want to, we want to continue to have, we're drilling down a little bit. We've looked at national, we've looked at all the different cities, but let's look at the historical data and trends as well, starting with something like sales data. So we're talking about transactions or the trading. This is what we're calling the trading of the properties that are being bought and sold. So for that specific city, for that specific market that you're considering, you know, we're looking at medium sales prices, right? That they traded at or they're sold at. That's verbiage I'll be using from here on out, the trading aspect. Sales volume, you know, days on market, which is less big of a deal on multifamily, but it's still interesting to know, like, how long has it actually been on the market? Trends in these metrics can indicate the market's direction and potential for future growth as well, right? If things are, are getting sold fast and it's really hot, then yes, competition, people are paying attention, but, you know, that also might let you know, well, how long has been, have transaction been happening at that rate for? Right. So in addition to sales data, looking at historical trends, what about rental markets, rental market data, including average rents, occupancy rates, vacancy rates, rising rents and lower vacancy rates suggest strong demand for rental properties. You know, and, you know, with respect to apartments as well, which could indicate which types of units and unit mixes are are going to be favorable. So just to touch on this for a second. Rental market data, including average rents. So if you were to go look 
And the average rent means for a given area, if you were to go look at, well, apartments in this area, are the one bedroom, one baths, are they like 1200? Are they average 1500 or you know 2100 plus for you know what square footage? So these are the average rents for the types of you know unit mix or, or for the type of unit type, excuse me, I'm thinking the bedrooms and baths combination. And then what about occupancy rates? How much occupancy is there? Like are all of the units, you know, being rented out as an example, are the vacancy rates high, which is sort of the inverse metric, right? Is something else to consider. So looking at those metrics across historical trend. And if this sounds like a lot, just as I'm talking through, just know that when we get to the report section and you do look at the reports, you're going to see that it is very easy to identify and you see these graphs over time. It's much like looking at any other types of metrics that you know, you've probably looked at in some kind of graph, whether it's logs or anything else, it's just the same. All right, step three here, we're talking about researching neighborhoods and amenities. Location, location, location. Again, we're getting to not only the city level and or national, but city, but let's go and look at things at a neighborhood level. So a little bit further down as well. So in terms of neighborhood analysis, we're evaluating specific neighborhoods within the market. And we're looking at factors like crime rates, right? School quality, proximity to amenities, and the overall livability. Think about attract neighborhoods, attract tenants, and con contribute to property value appreciation. So as we think about things like crime rates, well, we want crime to be lower. That's a good sign, right? People are sticking around, especially where you know, that those that might have families or, or, you know, have to protect their children. Certainly, even if you don't, you want to make sure that you're living in a safe area. That seems like a reasonable thing to consider. School qualities, again, just making sure that, you know, we have great places to educate the next generations, as an example. Proximity to amenities. We're talking about what parks are there? Are there pools available? You know, are there community things? Infrastructure is another big one. And then we'll talk about that shortly. It just came to mind on, on those topics, but overall livability, you know, parks and recreation, you know, is it, is it lively, et cetera? What makes it attractive? So in terms of furthering the amenities assessment, you know, just the availability of those quality amenities, other things I'm talking about, like transportation options, that's a great one. Shopping centers, you know, we talked about parks and also recreation facilities. And just having more of these makes the area more livable. So step four in this is understanding the economic shifts in that particular market. Again, we're at the neighborhood level here. So, you know, it's important to consider the employment trends, right? So if you've ever seen, well, so-and-so semiconductor, as an example, is moving into this area. Well, what do we expect that to do for that area? You know, and we're talking about what if it's bringing a bunch of uh, consultant jobs or software jobs, or, you know, we'll, we'll call it uh, management jobs. Well, we have to consider too, something that I learned, which was pretty interesting, is that for every one, we'll call it, and forgive me if this isn't the most inclusive, you know, terminology here, but it's the only, it's, it's what I got, got used to it, is that if you have certain white collar jobs, how many, how many local jobs does that also produce to support that income? And I think those things, types of things just at a demographic economic level is very interesting. 
So employment trends at that local market aspect is, you know, what happened? What's happened with major employers? What's happening with workforce demographics? What's happening with, you know, job growth projections? A strong and diversified economy supports demand for housing and drives the opportunity for real estate investment, which is what we're talking about right here. So I told you we're going to talk about infrastructure development as well. Again, this is in context of step four in this framework, just to you know, put them in step by step so it's a little easier to remember. Step four here, we're talking about infrastructure development. So, you know, look at infrastructure projects that are planned or underway in the area. Major infrastructure projects, whether that's transportation upgrades, you know, new public facilities, these can increase property values, increase desirability for a place to live in too. You know, I know when I was living in Seattle, was like, I would get these newsletters that would say, hey, you know, uh, the so-and-so, I think it was the sounder. I think maybe that was a different one. Uh, it's been years at this point. But it's this train was coming and it was showing the path. And it was like, in 2027, it'll be near Ballard. <laughs> I'm like, okay, that's cool. That's where I was living at the time. I think this was like 2018, 2019. I'm like, great. So in like a decade, I'll have a train near me. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but understanding uh, what types of things you would like to want or you you know might think are desirable to live in uh, would in, in those areas would certainly be something that helps you to uh, think about what others would want as well. All right, so after infrastructure, let's talk about additional demand in the market, right? So these are some major metrics, major types of topics that you should look into when you're narrowing down into the market. Population growth, right? Analyze population trends in the area, considering, right, historical, but also projected, right? A growing population increases demand for housing. People need to live somewhere, especially in the urban areas. Housing demographics, you know, look at, well, where are these people gonna live, right? The people that you wanna serve, the people you wanna provide clean, safe, reliable housing for. You know, thinking about including age distribution, income levels, household size, as an example, understanding where people live or for our purposes, we'll just call tenant preferences and demand patterns helps you identify suitable properties for investment, especially if we talk about, you know, do you want to be investing in, in the asset classes of like a B or C as an example, right? And if you, if you want to learn more about that, there's uh, episode I did earlier, I think it's like number four or so, it might be three or four that talks about the different classes of multifamily. So I highly recommend checking those out, those, that episode out to get an overview of, you know, the different asset classes for, for multifamily, but understanding your demographic really get you in the mind of who the customer is, who the, who the tenant is and what they're going to need so that you can learn about the market and understand where are the types of housing that fit the best for what I want to invest in? Okay, additional considerations here to consider, again, at the neighborhood level is local regulations. So familiarize yourself with zoning regulations. You know, get familiar with things like building codes, rental ordinances. These are legal things and regulations, but you didn't need to understand how to navigate these at a high level or at least know what questions to ask and who you can ask them to when you do need to know. It's going to be part of the business plan, right? So regulations can, in fact, impact your investment decisions and potential property improvements, which can be important if you do a value-add type of strategy. 
Now, additionally, this is an important one too, a competitive landscape. So evaluate the competition in the market. You know, if you want to go after markets that are favorable for investing, it's likely that there's other going to be other people investing as well. And this matters more if you're certainly someone that's trying to secure and acquire, you know, the, the deals. But if you're doing something like passive investing, then it may work in your favor because you're going to have uh, more deals come your way. And as long as you have great criteria and ask good questions, then you'll keep in a place where you're actually finding great deals and not places where the people putting to get them, putting together those deals are, you know, making shortcuts or things like that, which could cause problems down the line if there's not much margin. Let me put it that way. So understanding the competitive landscape helps you position yourself better, decreasing risk and understanding investment better as well. And then finally, it's future outlook would be the last one here to mention on additional considerations. And what you want to do here is the assess the potential growth just in general, you know, for the development in the area. So factors like this upcoming, you know, infrastructure, economic population projections, all as a whole, as far out as, as you can think about, right? Because we want to invest according to the business plan we put, but also if we're going to stick to that market, what does the future of that market look like? I know that's a little bit of recap what we talked about, but it's always good to look at uh, the historical where we're at future and just really go through these, these checks. So anyway, the bottom line is through your market research, you want to find markets that are capable of doing well through good and bad economic times, especially uh, as you look at this at first at a national level, and then go into that MSA, MSA and then city and the neighborhood level. So if you invest in cities with strong fundamentals, you'll be less likely to be impacting your investments because real estate is local. So the next topic I want to talk about is answering that question, well, dude, you just gave me a lot of information, but where do I go to look at these reports myself? Where do I go look at this area? How do I decide on where should I do this market research first? So let's talk about market reports, right? It's important to keep an eye on what's going on in that market industry, or even just getting familiar with that market the first time around, like I'm assuming that if you're listening to this, you are. So I wanted to give you some ideas, just some names of these different reports. I will help you to get into these different bodies of data. So the first one is from Marcus and Millichap, it's, you know, annual U.S. family investment, multifamily investment forecast. They also have monthly ones as well. And Marcus and Millichap is a brokerage. There's other what are called the brokerage houses, right? If you think about like, you know, the real estate agency that you've come familiar with, this is what these are. They're, they're giant commercial real estate brokerages versus agencies. So Marcus and Millichap would be one big one. There's others that are from CBRE. They do some different reporting, JLL. There's also Urban Land Institute. And there's another one called Milken Index Best Cities Report. And, you know, there, there's a ton of data which cover uh, the different metrics that I just talked about. Really give, start to give you some insight um, at that MSA sort of city level. And then, of course, you'll have to dive a little bit more into, you know, the local news and understand the local reporting once you get to know that once you've selected a market and you get to go a little bit more, we'll call it neighborhood focused, but getting 
the, into these reports, seeing this data will really give you a big picture of um, how these reports are put together based on the metrics I just talked about. So that in mind, I know I mentioned just a bunch of different reports here, but I just want you to become aware of multiple that were available for you and that there is data you can access. You don't have to pay for, of course, you have to go create accounts, put some information in, otherwise there's no additional charge. And what I would suggest is that just pick one, you know, and go look at the data, see how the data is organized, what factors metrics are reported on, just go look at the trends. Looking at this data will help you generate some more questions that will help you pull the thread even more and ask better questions that you can get more information about those markets. Help you better with networking as well. Okay, so there you have it. That's an overview of evaluating markets. Today we covered, you know, in multifamily, what do we consider a market, right? We talked about, introduced to you an MSA. Uh, we gave you some ideas. I gave you some ideas about factors in evaluating markets and some step-by-step -step there on the process you can go through to evaluate the market. And then finally, a process, you know, some, some places that you can go to actually get some of these data yourself as well so that you can follow that process. So that in mind, let's go to the action of today. And the action today is continuing to build on you know, the idea of the criteria that we have. That's kind of the section and the chapter that we're in so far. It's building the criteria, understanding some really foundational and contextual things about real estate investing on the commercial and multifamily level here. So as we get into the action, we're building on all of this phase of, of learning, right? And building the criteria. So you've heard this before, but I will say it again. It's a reminder that I often tell myself, so that's what I wanted to share is that knowledge is pointless unless we do something with it. Otherwise, it's just potential power. And of course, we couldn't go through all of these steps today if we weren't going to do anything with it, right? So for today, what I want you to do is I want you to pick a city. You know, if you're driving or anything like that, just, you know, brainstorm about it, think about it, but make a note and go back and look at these reports, right? At the very least, make a note, pick a city and go look at those reports. Even if you don't go back and listen to all of the step-by-step -step that I covered today, but pick a city and do some research. It can be your own city or it can maybe be another city that you'd like to go or maybe you'd like to go. You know, I'm talking about the US in this case. It's your choice. Maybe you go Google, you know, what are the top cities that are great for real estate investing? Just pick one of those too. But I, I will just say that if you want the easy, the easy option, it's just pick the city that you're, you're based in right now. Go do some research there. You know, the reason is you already know some stuff about your city. You're familiar with it, I would imagine. And if you look at data and research, then you can see what sort of makes sense and what lines up and looks familiar. You know, you'll learn something about the economics of the city. And if there are, you know, indicators already of it being a great, you know, city for investing, and maybe you've heard it's a great city for investing already, then you can go look at data and get an idea firsthand of why that is. Get to see things about, you know, the amount of people moving uh, to your city. Get to see things like average rents. You know, that might be insightful. Get to see things about the average vacancy, about how much construction is happening there, etc. And going through these steps will make you a better investor, of course. It will also make you more familiar with the process of understanding and evaluating markets. What we're talking about today. The reason is, is so that next time you see data from someone else, 
this is what we do when we when we look at all of our data in our tech jobs. It's you you learn the process and you learn what it is so that you can ask better questions about where the data came from, how to drill into it. What does that data actually mean? What story is this telling, especially from an investing perspective? So use your tech brain, go dig into the data, ask some questions, make some hypotheses, and build a story that, hey, if this thing is happening in this market, right? And it's likely we're going to see this other thing happen as well from the demographics perspective. Or if this event happens, it might cause people to go somewhere else. And that's where the interesting thing about, we'll call it migration patterns, about socioeconomic things, and just having a, a bigger awareness of how people move around really starts making a difference. And becomes a lot of fun too, I'll have to say. You get to see these trends and it just kind of opens up your world. So I'll quit harping on that. I'm going to close out for today. Uh, and I'm going to leave you with the quote of the day as we have. I love this segment. It's kind of fun finding these quotes for you. And today's one is, it's the little details that are vital, but little things make big things happen. And this is by John Wooden, the, known as the Wizard of Westwood won 10 NCAA national championships with a record of seven in a row where none other uh, team had won four in a row. And this quote comes from you know, one of his maxims of coaching and how it relates here is that, you know, you've got to pick great markets, right? This is location, location, location. And, you know, it's setting the foundation for the additional steps that we have and we'll be covering here shortly in the next couple of episodes and help you set a good foundation for additional successful investing so that we do have the wind on our backs, so to speak. Speaking of next steps, on an upcoming episode, we'll be talking about people you need on your team so you can be prepared to invest well from the start and have the right resources in place when you have questions. And trust me, you're going to want to make sure that you have the right people on your list to call before you get started. You know, you're saving all yourself from rushing around, potential oh shit or oh crap moments, and potential emotional roller coasters as well. Not to mention saving a lot of money because things tend to cost more when you need them right away, when you need answers right away, when you need assistance right away, and things like that. So in the next episode, I will be covering who the people are that you need to have on your team to invest, who the others that uh, you should make sure on the team that you're investing with as well, like the sponsorship team. We're going to be talking about what those roles are and some ideas that you can immediately start doing to build your team as well, even if you're still putting together your criteria and you're on this path with me. Now, if this helped you, please subscribe wherever you are listening. You could also reach out to me on Instagram or directly an email on Instagram. That's the real Arita. And on email, that is Stephen at aritacapital.com. These are also in the show notes. Also, if you have topics that you would love to hear about, please let me know. You know, we, I'll make sure to cover any of these with you. And if you want to book time with me one-on-one -on -one to have a conversation about any of the topics so far, just shoot me an email and I'll send you my calendar link. We'll jump on a call. Thanks for joining me on this episode of Path to Passive, and I will see you next time. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Path to Passive. We love connecting with our listeners and those on the path to architecting their wealth and improving their lives. Feel free to let us know what topics you'd like to see in future episodes. Get in touch with us through email or Instagram. See you next week for a new episode.